Hello and welcome to Heritage Hall and the Season of Sam podcast. I'm your host, Yogi Roth, and the podcast keeps evolving, keeps growing. i got to mention a shout-out on College Game Day last week, and excited to keep this thing going. I think you're really going to enjoy this next episode. Get to sit down with Sam and talk about what it was like to not only win week one, but to watch his teammate, somebody he admires and is inspired by Jake Olson, playing the game against Western Michigan. Also get to talk to Colin Coward. Sam will interview him and ask him a variety of questions as he is a man that Sam has admired being a communications major. Really unique conversation between those two. And then we'll close out the podcast with a one-on-one interview with Jake Olson and talk about not only what it's like to inspire millions, but also how he's inspired by the 104 other teammates he has in the locker room. We are fully embarked on the season of Sam and the season of the Trojans. There are no bye weeks in the season. There are no bye weeks on the podcast. We're going. We're going, man. Um, You guys had a win in week one over Western Michigan. Um, we're already at midweek. I'm curious when we reflect back on that game, um, what it was like for you after you guys score and Jake Olson gets put in the game. Mm. Because that story has gone viral for incredible reasons. Did you know what was happening? Like, does all of a sudden start get passed down on the sideline? Yeah, so Coach Clay let some of the captains know, some of the older guys uh, on the team know. I think it was that uh, Thursday before meetings. He was just like, hey, guys. If we get the opportunity, Jake's going to get the ball and snap. Um, and we let Western Michigan know, their coach knows. And uh, he, he was, and the way Coach Clay is, he wanted to make sure we were okay with it. And we were like, Coach, like, of course, we see this kid work extremely hard day in and day out, probably harder than anyone else on the team. And just to also see Jake, like, just do life, I think is the most insane thing to me, the way he operates at such a high level it's it's crazy to see for me and it was so cool to just see him finally get that opportunity to to just play ball and do what he's been doing for a few years now you know college football is hard you guys are asked to do a lot from workouts voluntary elements of it uh, obviously film study all the game preparation it's easy i think to when you when you look at what jake did to say wow like we we don't have it that bad like go back to work. But I'm, th- that's an obvious takeaway. But I'm curious what do you think it's done for maybe some of the younger players on this team to watch that who didn't know Jake Olson, maybe didn't grow up in Southern California and know his story, maybe came from Alabama or Texas, just like a lot of the, some of the young players that we saw play for the first time on Saturday. Right. I think it, the biggest thing is it puts life into perspective uh, for a lot of these guys. And like you said, a lot of them are from Texas, Alabama, and uh, Florida, and have had rough situations growing up but you know I think Jake you know being having it the hardest uh by far I think it just puts life into perspective and that's what it did for me but I think to see what Jake does day in and day out it just uh it amazes me uh it amazes the the players on this team and really keeps things into perspective Speaking of perspective, um, all USC fans love the perspective of watching USC Stanford. This has been an awesome matchup back to when I was on the staff, and it was Coach Harbaugh and Coach Carroll. Obviously, the last couple seasons, it's it's been an incredible game. Um, this is going to be a packed house. This is the conference game. This is early in the season. They're coming off a of bye week. W- when you look at the importance of each game, how do you maintain a focus necessary to not look too far ahead because you guys, as we referenced, don't have a bye week? Mm. And how do you prepare for a game like this that is an interconference game? It is one of the more physical teams in the country. I think we learned a lot from last week, uh, just building off how, how we need to prepare. Uh, 
and where the young freshmen are in terms of how much they have to learn. And they've really taken that into account. You know, saw, saw a bunch of them here on Sunday, um, working really hard yesterday. Um, so it's just it's great to see the young guys kind of learn from their mistakes and really come in and learn uh, and want to learn and want to win because they want to help this football team. And I think that's the biggest uh, thing for them and biggest thing that I saw personally. But um, Stanford, yeah, haven't, haven't beaten them since I've been here. Um, and want to get it done, want to get it done for Coach Clay. Uh, we have the opportunity, you know, we have, we have the players to make it happen. It's just a matter of preparing, and that's what this, this week's about, is just preparing to beat a great Stanford team. And, you know, we know how disciplined they're going to be. We know how athletic they are, but it's about doing our job. And if we do our job, uh, I think, and like I keep saying, the sky's the limit for our team. Preparation, that is kind of a word to describe our next guest on the Season of Sand podcast, Colin Cowherd. Um, he's a guy I believe you've admired for a while. Curious, you know, in this podcast setting, we're kind of creating these master classes for you to go learn from different people, cultivate ideas to help, you know, your body of work as a, as a human being. How did you prepare to interview Colin? I just, I mean, I looked at everything that he's done, uh, obviously in his broadcasting career and how, uh, how I guess valuable he is to uh, Fox now and he was to ESPN he just boosts up ratings like nothing and you know I think that's special in what he does but I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he um, how he grew up and how he took his lessons that he learned when he was a kid and continues to learn from uh, even to this day and I think that's that's what I continue to do every single day or at least try to do uh and I think it's going to be really interesting to ask him some questions about his past uh, and how he's learned from it. I love it. All right, let's not waste any more time. It's game week. Let's bring on a special guest, Colin Cowherd. Colin, uh, huge fan of your show. I know Sam is as well. Thanks for coming out of the pod. So I just kind of want to ask you about football playoff a little bit. Do you think that the preseason, uh, the first couple games of the college football team season should be taken into account when looking at the whole team at the end of the season? I think you just have to be, you have to look at it holistically. Um, college fans are funny. Like, they don't allow teams to improve. Like, in the last 10 years, Super Bowl teams have, on average, lost almost five games. That's the team that wins the Super Bowl. One of them lost seven. But in college football, if a 19-year-old goes out in the first week or two and they stumble, everybody's like, ah, oh, that team's terrible. Well, wait a minute. I could make the argument that a 20-year-old has a greater learning curve than a 28-year-old NFL player. So I've always thought I'm going to judge in college football your, your week 10-11 performance differently than your week 1-2 and two performance. I could make the argument last year. Had you guys just beaten Utah, and you got very close, had you beaten Utah, you would have been in the Final Four, and that's despite getting routed by Alabama. So, and Penn State, by the way, Penn State got destroyed by Michigan in the, early in the season. By the end, I could argue that Clemson, Alabama, Penn State, and USC were the four best teams. So, because I thought you and Penn State were very even. So, I, I think the way I look at it is the first two or three weeks, teams lose, but they should have a right to improve as 19, 20-year-old kids. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, also, I just wanted to get your thoughts about 
um, kind of where you saw our whole team, uh, just mostly because uh, I think they really performed, especially Stephen Carr. Uh, just kind of wanted to get your opinion how, how well you thought they played because I thought they played amazing uh, for their first game. A lot of them, you know, you would expect to play a deer in the headlights, but they really performed, and I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, Stephen Carr is really special. Uh, um, you guys, USC hired Dylan um, McCullough, a running backs coach, and I think he's as good a position coach as maybe USC has right now, and I thought his impact on those running backs was very apparent. Ball security, pass catching, blocking. He's a tremendous young coach. Um, I think the strength of USC, in my opinion, is the backfield, uh, yourself and your running backs. I think it's really the strength of the team. I also think you, you are very deep at tight end, and I think your offensive line is actually a little underrated. There's so much concern, but most of the guys have significant starts in time. So I, I think when I look at USC and, and their young players, um, I don't think you can lean on a freshman to win games, but I think Stephen Carr is the very unique 18-year-old kid that can step in physically, not just emotionally, but physically. He looks like an NFL running back now. I think that's very rare. Um, you have a young receiver um, – I think it's really talented. Uh, the way I look at freshmen is, and I think Clay Helton would say this, like a Levi Jones at linebacker, you don't give freshmen a, a vast amount of responsibility. What you want to do is, okay, we're going to ask this and this of you, just these two things, do them well. You can ask Sam Darnold. Uh, you can ask um, you know, Cam Smith, uh, Big E Marshall. You've been in the program three years. I'm going to ask you to do a lot of things. I may ask you to be a captain, Chris Hawkins. I may ask you to do, you know, a Gina Harris. I can ask you to do a lot of things. As a freshman, generally the rule in coaching is don't ask them to do a lot, but maybe get really specific. Distill it down to one or two things. And I think Stephen has the ability to make people miss, run past them or over them. And I think running back's a position that you don't, you know, running back's one of the simpler positions to come into a program and make an impact initially. I mean, it's really hard for a quarterback or a left tackle or a center or a Mike linebacker. You're just asking way too much. It's a very complicated uh, position. But I think running back and corner, if you can play, you can play uh, really early. And I, and I think uh, Carr is that kind of player. Yeah, I completely agree. <clears throat> and I think also having, like you said, that veteran – group to kind of push these freshmen along really helps uh, kind of where USC is coming, but kind of want to shift the conversation to your radio career. What people consider you to be the best at what you do. Uh, just kind of wanted to get how you just come to the office every single day and continue to work, work your hardest. Not, um, you're never, you're never comfortable, I guess, where you're at. Um, like I guess Texas A&M was, um, it felt like in that <laughs> UCLA game. Um, so I guess, how do you remain uh, humble and how do you continue to just come in and work hard every single day? Well, I really enjoy the process of it. Um, and I don't really have, I don't really have a finish line in life. Um, I just, I kind of think like every day I want to make it matter and I'm competitive. I mean, I'm still a runner and, you know, I work out and I'm a competitive person. So, 
you know, I, I think I would credit my parents. Um, they made me work very early. I, I mean, I had a job at like 13 years old washing dishes at a greasy spoon restaurant in rural Washington State. And it was one of these things where they asked me to be self-reliant and they asked me to work. And so I, I, I've just always, I think, that's been instilled in me. Um, and I like to work. Um, I, you know, one of my favorite athletes is Tom Brady. And one of the things I really admire about him is, like, he enjoys it, and he's never satisfied. And I I just think that it's just the way I was raised. It's like I don't really see life as a finish line. Like, I'm going to get to here and retire. Um, I, I just kind of see, like, every day, even in my life, if I go to therapy and I want to be a better husband and a better dad. And, you know, I self-analyze a lot, and probably too much. But I don't know. I just I, I kind of find in life that – Everything from being a husband, being a dad, being a sportscaster, being a friend. Like I'm, I'm just think it's fun to work on stuff, and I think I want to be better. I want to be better, you know, tomorrow than today. And like I got in this morning, I got up at five. I was here by five forty, and grinding away a show. And and it's just, it's kind of the only thing I know. I, I maybe I'm insecure. I, I could never. I, I I've told my wife this before. I, I could win the Powerball lottery. I would eat the same, live the same, work the same. Now, I will admit I'd probably buy, buy a small private jet so I wouldn't have to go to LAX anymore and <laughs> wait in line for three hours. That I would splurge on leasing a private jet, but I don't think my life would change. I'd have the same friends, eat the same food, work the same hours. I don't think it would change fundamentally who I am. Yeah, and I think my, I think my friends would say the same thing about me. Um, I'm really satisfied, honestly, with the way I live. You mentioned Tom Brady. And yourself, you know, how important is that um, coming from humble beginnings and coming from almost a blue-collar family? Well, my my um, my dad was the town optometrist, but I went through several divorces, so there was never a sense of entitlement. Um, there was a sense, a little bit of chaos. There was a sense that um, you know, there was a little fear growing up. Could we afford the house? Could we stay in the house? I think that fear uh, lives with you forever, um, and I, I've always had that. I, I don't really. I guess the downside to the way I think is I don't enjoy winning as much as I fear losing. Um, and it kind of drives me. And I think, I don't know, I just, I, I used to joke all the time with Kirk Herbstreet, you know, the announcer for uh, college football at ESPN. And, you know, he's done very well. And he, he had a very, you know, middle um, class upbringing. And I always used to joke, I used to say, uh, granite countertops and crown molding are, are really the death of our kids' desire is that when you grow up comfortable and safe, uh, there is a sense that, okay, I, 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 I'm going to be okay. There is something to me, I, and I'm you know not to go psych 101, but there, there is something to be said about a, a little fear and a little um, understanding that if you don't make it, then you don't make it. There is no safety net. And I think safety nets are really important, like welfare for a society. Because you just you know you don't want people falling through the floor, but I think individually I think it's a healthy thing. Um, I I I tell my my wife always jokes. She says you're very balanced. You have a you have a chip on both shoulders. <laughs> you know, like I'm I I just wake up and I have this feeling that I'm going to wake up and people are going to say you don't have any talent, you're no good, and your savings account's been depleted, and I that's with me. And it, people could say, God, that's sad, but it's just part of me, and it's kind of the duality of life. Like, 
I have a great life, but I live with that fear because I was a child of divorce. And, you know, I was having to never get a, you know, I mean, I can remember going to gym class in high school and my mom didn't make anything and my dad was divorced and had remarried. And I had these white tennis shoes that were literally brown from dirt. And we just didn't have the money to afford other things. And so I really appreciate what I have and I'm always aware that it can go away. And, you know, it, it may sound sad, and but in, in I think it's kind of a healthy um, component to my life. You seem, Yogi mentioned it before we came on in your book, you seem so positive, even going through all the stuff that you went through as a young kid. Uh, I guess I wanted to ask, where does that stem from and of anyone going through something like, something like that? I think a lot of it's a protective mechanism. Uh, I told my wife one time, I, don't, I grew up in the wettest part of the continental United States, and I don't remember rainy days. And I think uh, because of all the divorces I went through as a kid, that as a protective mechanism, I just tried to find the good things in life. And my wife, she jokes about this. She's like, God, she's like the world swirling around you. And you're always like, hey, but listen, here it's this, this, this. And I just, and I, the only thing I can guess is um, I, I've been hurt as a kid. Uh, there was a little fear as a kid, you know, through that little chaos of divorces, my mom and dad. And that it just kind of protects me, that positive uh, going forward, next day, let's move on. You know, I, I tell my kids, like, like let's, let's, problems only exist beyond the point of the problem if you let them exist. Like, it, if you let it be on your merry-go-round in your head and you're creating it, it's like, stop. Like, th- let's say you get in a car wreck. Okay, everybody's safe from that moment forward. The car wreck's over. Now let's make a positive, even in a horrible situation. So I just think, for me, it's I feel better. Like, that's why I try to stay away from too much social media. I find it so negative and so snarky. And, I mean, look at what happened in Houston with the devastation of Hurricane Harvey. Look how great people are. Uh, 9-11, Hurricane Harvey. Americans are really decent people, but if you go to social media, people are mean and snarky, and, and uh, they're not – they're negative. And I just – I would rather be a positive influence – but a negative one. Now, I am critical because I am a sportscaster, and sometimes I can you know, kind of beat down on things. But you know, in my books, where I think I can go deeper, not just broader, but I can go deeper on subjects, I do think I come across as more positive because I think it's who I am. Yeah, and it's interesting because Coach Clay has the same mindset and takes the same approach to games. And he always tells us, you know, one play at a time. And I think that's super important to look at life that way as well. Um, but another question I have is besides your family, uh, from the most, maybe, maybe a colleague of yours, um, as far as influential, you mean? Yeah. Anything? Yeah. I, I would say influential. Um, I think, um, when I was, I was doing local TV and radio and, um, a guy named Bruce Gilbert was at ESPN and ESPN, Tony Kornheiser had left, and they wanted to fill it with a New York guy. Um, they wanted to fill that spot with like some big anchor at ESPN, like a you know whoever Trey Wingo or Scott Van Pelt. And Bruce Gilbert heard me on radio uh, in Portland, Oregon, and totally rolled the dice. And it went diametrically opposed to what all the big managers at ESPN wanted. They wanted somebody familiar, somebody on TV, and so he, they rolled the dice. 
and they hired this kid, me, uh, that didn't have a great resume. I was just a local sportscaster. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence, and it gave me – I felt like for the first time in my life, somebody took a chance on me. And because uh, I felt to that point, I'd, you know, I'd earned my spot, and this was really a roll of the dice by a company. And I just never forget that. Um, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be on a national stage um, without Bruce Gilbert doing that. None of this. You would have probably never heard of me because uh, there just aren't very many national openings. So I think that has been the most influential move or, you know, in my life. You know, becoming the USC quarterback for me, I did work really hard. And, you know, I, in my opinion, I am talented, but things did go my way. And how much of it is luck and how much of it is hard work and how much of it is a balance of both? Well, I mean, let's face it. Max Brown struggled. That opened the door for you. Uh, But I also saw your first practice there and you were really talented. I, I I think if you work really hard and you're really determined then I think you will get opportunities. Everybody gets opportunities. But ultimately, mine wasn't luck and yours isn't luck because we were prepared for the moment we were given an opportunity. Um, Luck is winning Powerball. Luck is your parachute doesn't open and you survive. Um, I don't consider luck to be I was really prepared and put 10 years into something I passionately love. An opportunity presented itself and I kick butt. Um, I, I don't. I, I, luck to me is, and I'm Allie was talented. That's why she's worked. So when I look at your career, listen, um, Ricky Town signed. He was a real high recruit quarterback. He probably looked at you for about two weeks and went, "Okay, I'm going to play here." So you created that. And then when you came on after Max Brown, you were good, and you created that. And by the way, uh, you were a late signee. I think Clay or Sark had come down to see you. And at Oceanside, you didn't get all the, you know, all you weren't at like uh, modern day where you get all that publicity. So they came down and looked at you for one workout and went, holy moly, Sam's really talented. So you created that. Now, there are, there are opportunities that are afforded all of us. But I wouldn't consider your, your voyage. Um, I think you've uh, allowed yourself. Um, so that opportunity, you flourish in opportunity. But I don't think you've been particularly lucky. You're six, two and a half, six three. You're not six five. Uh, the scouts say, you know, he's got a good arm. You don't have, you don't have John Elway or Cam Newton's arm. You've had to work for stuff. You, you, I think you played linebacker once in high school. So you didn't have a dad that was named Archie Manning or a brother named Peyton Manning. So, uh, you know, it's not, like, it's not like you've had this grooved football existence. Uh, now, you were lucky. You have great parents, and there's some DNA. Everybody played sports. But I would say when I look at you, I see a grinder. I, I, don't, see, I don't see Peyton Manning. Dad's an NFL quarterback, you know, royal family. I see a kid that got good DNA from parents, has a good, solid, humble family, and has really worked at it. I see a quarterback who works at it when I look at you. Yeah, and I think kind of in between of luck and hard work is taking advantage of the opportunities given to you, uh, for sure. Um, This is a question that I just had asked before. Who do you aim to intrigue uh, when you're on the radio? Because sometimes it seems like, might be talking to a certain audience. So I kind of wanted to get your point of view on that. I'd kind of tell the team, our job is to be interesting. And so I kind of, when I do a show, 
I used to think of my mom who didn't like sports. And I know I was thinking, how could I make my mom watch? And she passed away a few years ago, but she would watch me. And she'd always, my wife always says this. She says, you know, I really like when you do non-sports. And I tell her I don't do much non-sports. What I do is I take metaphorical or uh, analogous situations outside of sports, and then I, I sew them into sports. But I always kind of feel like I love sports, but life is more interesting than sports. So I'm going to take life examples and put them into sports and kind of just try to elevate, you know, your typical NFL or college football topic. And, you know, so I think what I'm aiming to do is somebody, I have a saying on my show, like, love your life, like your sports. That'll give you context for things. You won't throw shoes at a TV set when your favorite team loses. Love your life, love your kids, love your family, like your sports. And so I try to take people who I know like sports, but they're busy and they've got a life and they've got uh, kids and they've got a career and they've got, you know, and that guy, if I can take him and tell a story and he sits in this parking lot for another three minutes because he wants me to finish the story, like that's a win for me. So I think I try to I try to uh, catch the attention of people who like sports but maybe you're not a diehard. You know, the diehard's going to listen to me regardless. But but your mom may not, or or Yogi's, you know, brother or sister may not. And I think that's who I'm kind of aiming for. Colin, before we let you go, um, I want to make sure we ask this final question. You, you've been around, obviously, the media for a really long time. High-profile professionals, high-profile collegiate student-athletes. There's a lot of attention now, you know, more than ever on them. If you're going to give Sam some advice, because this whole idea of this podcast is about creating a masterclass for him on people that he's seeking to gain insight and knowledge from, how would you guide him if if you were about dealing with the growing and growing expectations, attention, uh, outside pressure to kind of block it out and maintain the focus necessary? Well, I would say block out the noise. Um, Trust your instincts and trust your heart that um, you'll know what's right. You'll know what's right in the game. You're a very instinctive player. You'll know what's right in life. And that there's a lot of noise. There's agents, and there's guys like me, and there's columnists, and there's – but block it out. You can listen to stuff, but I've, I've always trusted my instincts. Like, my, I think my instincts, I have good values. I'm a good person. Um, my instincts have led me to this. And I've always had a sense just when to leave companies – I mean, you'll have this in three or four months, like stay, leave, whatever. Trust your instincts. Do you love college? Are you growing? Do you like the relationships, family? Uh, or is it an opportunity you can't pass up and you, and you think you have to seize? Through life, especially when you're talented, I mean, you're a good-looking, talented kid at a big football program, you're going to get a lot of attention, and there's going to be a lot of people that enter your life that don't have your best interests in life. Uh, you do. And so have open, honest discussions with your parents, yourself. You know, I talk to myself all the time. It sounds silly, but I'll get in the car, and I won't turn on music. I'll just talk to myself half hour driving in. You know, just kind of think about what matters to me and how was my weekend with my son. Spend time not only with others, Sam, but spend time with yourself. Spend time in Oceanside, 15 minutes, kicking it in your room. Lay on the bed and think about life. Because we tend to spend so much time with other people, but we don't spend enough with ourselves. And I think the true answers always come from ourselves, not others. 
Um, that was well, very well said, man. We uh, we appreciate the time, and thanks for joining the Season of Sam podcast, brother. Well, I will be at the Stanford game. I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. I'm just, a big, I'm just a big fan of you and your family and your message. So keep kicking butt, and I appreciate being on. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Colin. All right, Sam. All right, so Colin Coward joins. What would you learn, man? I think the biggest thing he said at the end there was just trusting your instinct. You know, I had a play uh, right before halftime where I kind of scrambled to my right and looking at the film, I didn't need to. I could have easily stepped up and Tay beat the safety pretty bad and and he just got wide open and when I drifted to my right, I threw it and the ball kind of came with me. You know, it, it was just one of those plays where looking at it on film, you get so frustrated because it could have been a touchdown. Such an easy play that I should have made and usually do make. But I think, you know, coming into the film room, having Coach Tyson coach me up, but also ask me what I felt. And I said, hey, Coach, I felt pressure from my left. I felt like I needed to drift to my right a little bit. And he said, that's great. You know, I'm not going to coach you up too much on that because we need you to be able to trust your instinct when you're out there. Uh, And I think having coaches that believe in me and my instinct and even for Colin, you know, having (laughs) producers and people who run the show for him behind the scenes allow him to kind of go off on tangents a little bit, you know, about life when he's supposed to be talking about sports. And I think, um, like he mentioned, I think that's one of the great things that he does. But I think his just ability to trust his instinct and um, for any player or anyone in broadcasting or sports media, trusting your instinct, that's that's something that comes natural. And if you can do that, then I think – you know, anything's possible. Well said. Well, our next guest has trusted his instinct since he was a huge fan of the USC Trojans coming to the locker room as well as this past Saturday. It's Jake Olson. We'll be right back. I'll tell you what, I can't wait for this ball game. It's my first year on the staff here, USC-Texas game. Not the greatest of memories, so this one's going to be interesting. And there's only a limited number of tickets available for the Trojans and the Longhorns. Get your tickets at usctrojans.com backslash tickets and what's really unique about this game is that all day long there will be a sneaker drive that will help tackle homelessness so donate your shoes to the youth in the los angeles community by coming early this game prior to getting your tailgate on as usc hosts texas september 16th at 5 30 pacific and a good snap from jake listen to the crowd look at the usc sideline all right here we are joined by special guest jake olson Jake, I can remember meeting you when you were a pup. You were you were probably 100 pounds less than you right. are right, right now. Um, you've had a ton of attention in media this week for, for obvious reasons. I guess first and foremost, what's it like for you to get all these interview requests from all over the globe? Well, you know, I mean, uh, ever since the first ESPN piece came out in uh, 2009, you know, kind of dealt with, with you know, certain... Uh, surges of of interviews and stuff but you know this is this is obviously at a different a little different level but i mean it's, it's you know it's, it's awesome just because i know the story's getting out there and it's inspiring people and so it just again in return inspires me and it just wants you know obviously pushes me to, to work harder if i know just by me snapping makes this much of an impact yeah i mean clearly uh, inspiring people all, all across the globe we talked to sam about it about like it inspiring people that are literally in a locker next to you. Right. Do you feel that? Because I'm sure you feel like the 
millions of retweets and Instagram double taps and everything else that happens. Uh, but curious about like in the locker room if you can feel it move. I can feel. I can definitely feel my teammates love me. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're a brotherhood in there, and just you know, just to see their excitement when I went in, and you know, just to see how much joy I brought them. Um, but yeah, I mean, just from a sense of ins- inspiring. I mean, they they tell me that you know I inspire them and everything, and you know, it's it. I'd say it's it's easier for me to see myself inspire those outside the locker room than in the locker room. But I mean, knowing that. Make make an impact. It's kind of weird for me to think because you know, like when you're close to people and see them every day, you know, you, you don't know if they're kind of getting numb to it or whatever. But to kind of hear them say how much they're inspired is pretty cool. You know, it's interesting when you, you get old, like like me and other former players. Um, you don't realize that like the impact that the guy who's sitting next to you or you're working out with every day had on your life because you see them every day, right? right? Kind of like you referenced. Um, curious because you inspire a lot of people, but curious how your teammates inspire you. You guys are one and all. You come off of a season where you guys clearly lit the world on fire, and now you're everybody's darling. Uh, but curious how it's how it's impacted you, because you get motivated to prepare as well. Right. And it's not like you're just doing all the inspiring, but you're also getting impacted. Well, you know, I I, I really think that when when you know when I first got here, you know, everyone didn't know what to do, pretty much. You know, and when I was a freshman, and you know, okay, what's this, like we respect the kid. You know, is, is he actually snapping? Is is this, what, like what is this? And then. You know, over the two years I've been here now, when I get to go out there and snap and, and practice and, you know, get live reps and practice and, you know, then all of a sudden, like any player would, you start getting a little more respect because, you, you know, performing on the field and you, you people see you putting in the work and, and then all of a sudden you can become, a, you know, just a, a normal teammate. And and so I think over the years as, as that's that whole, I guess, system has kind of matured, it really has moved me just because I am one of the teammates. You know, I, I am a teammate. I, I am one of the brothers in, in every aspect. You know, it's just not some um, kid that's just on the team to have, you know, have fun and it's just, okay, you know, whatever. It's, it's, no, I'm actually a, a working teammate. You know, I'm. they see me as someone who contributes. And, and that's awesome. You know, that's something that I, I really wanted to have uh, here at SC. And, and, and I definitely can say that that's what's happened. And, and, and that really moves me because, you know, then, then all of a sudden I'm seen not as, you know, the blanket on the team, but just a, a teammate. And, and, the, and they treat me just, just as that. What's your drive like? My drive? Yeah. My drive is, I mean, I, I, my, you can ask my friends. My friends tell me I'm, I'm the most stubborn person you'll probably meet. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. But, you know, in the sense of when I'm confronted with a challenge and, and it's hard and maybe it even gets harder, I'm, I'm the stubborn guy. I'm going to work through So I'm going to figure out a way to do this if, if it takes, you know, however long. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, give up and I'm going to be relentless and try to attack this. So in that aspect, I mean, that's what my drive is. Just when, when I see a challenge, I want to go tackle it. And if it becomes harder, great, even more, even more a, a drive to get it, you know. So it's, it's I, I, don't, I don't know if that's just innate in me or something I've learned through battling cancer and, and just having a fighting spirit, but whatever it is, I mean, that's, that's where my drive is. I can remember talking a couple of years ago about golf, mm-hmm. and you were saying if you can go on the green, you can kind of walk to the where the hole is right. and feel it with the sensation in your feet right. of the curvature of the green or what the putt should be like. Right. What's it like snapping? So snapping, again, I mean, I, I, I equate the two uh, with golfing and, and, and snapping just because all the... All the tools I've used with muscle memory and feel and, and, and just honing in on, on, on feel and technique with snapping, I, I pretty much learned from golf because 
when I first took up golf after going blind, it really was all about, okay, this is what a good swing feels like. This is what produces that shot. You know, if I swing like this, this is what produces that shot. Understanding the whole relationship of what my body's doing and creating a swing which with, with the result of the shot. And so just drilling kind of that part of my mind and, and developing that part of my mind that can feel and have that muscle memory, then to translate that to snapping was pretty much the same thing because then it's okay. You're snapping. That that was creates a good snap. That's the feel. That's a good snap. That's a feel. That's a low snap. That's the feel. That's a high snap. Um, okay, let's feel the ball roll off the fingertips a little more. You know, so stuff like that where it's just you're, you're still using that part of the brain that kind of tells you, okay, that's that's what you want. Uh, log that in your memory. That's the feel you want. Now, you know, let's re- reproduce that over and over again. Most surprising message you've gotten? Tweet, Instagram? Um, I mean, there, there's been a lot of cool people. I mean, uh, obviously Coach Carroll, uh, not too surprising, but I mean, it, it was it was surprising to see how touched he was. I mean, he, he was crying, and, and, and that was just awesome to see just how, how touched uh, he was. And, you know, he's been obviously my mentor and friend for a long time now. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that have, have, have you know, I, I saw that Mike Trout retweeted. I saw um, Tony Dungy's been following me for a long time, so he he, he retweeted um, some big, some other big names. But it's it's it's, it's been awesome just to, to see. I mean, beyond the stars and, and the and the people in the sports world, but just you know the thousands of other just average people that are you know commenting and, and retweeting and quoting and just saying you know hey you know this this is so cool you know I'm I'm not even a Trojan fan, but I'm still very touched <laughs> by this and you know it's the kind of be able to move people in that way is, is, is awesome. I talked to Pete last week, and he said it, it might happen. You know, Jake might get in. Um, he's always had, as you know, uh, a kinship with you. Right. I, mean, I think you guys are kindred spirits in a lot of ways. Um, did you did you feel that from jump with him at 12 years old? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely. I mean, that's that's something I really was learning when I was 12, going through that. Just you know, it's. It, the embracing the fight on spirit and you know coach with is always compete always win not not give in to everything you know I, I really took that to heart and wanted to apply that to my life after going blind because you know all of a sudden after losing your sight it was all about competing you know competing in life and um, competing with the fact I couldn't see and so you know just being able to be around a guy who really created that that mentality and honed, honed in that that the idea and, and really put it to practice was was awesome, and you know, and that's something that I learned from him and have used in my own life. When the game ends, I'm sure you go in the locker room celebration, you get interviewed. It's amazing, all the attention, all that stuff is, is part of it. And it's a blast. But when it got quiet for the first time, where were you? Were you? And and what went through your mind? Um, it was probably just in my room, and, and and afterwards, you know, taking a shower and stuff, and just was kind of like like wow, like I just. I just snapped for the USC Trojans, you know, like just, it's just like the team I've been watching forever. Like I, I was, you know, like I, I say, I always, I always look at that score against Western Michigan and say, you know, I was, I was part of that 49th point. Like I, I was the guy who snapped the ball for the 49th point. And like, that's just, that's just crazy. I mean, it's just, it's something that it's like, wow, like I actually had an impact on that game. You know, like it's, it literally, the score was dictated by my actions. You've impacted the game for a really long time, man. and uh, it's been a blast watching you develop from 12 until now. And I, I have the sense that you're just getting warmed up, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it never seems to surprise me of the next uh, accomplishment. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to live life, impact others, and you know, obviously leave leave a legacy and an impact here here while I can. 
Love it. Well, thanks for impacting us on the Season of Sam podcast. All right, thank you. Got it. Another episode in the books of the Season of Sam podcast, and that was really interesting and compelling as we keep trying to cultivate this masterclass for Sam Donald as he got to interview and learn from a guy he admired, Colin Cowherd, and really learned, I think, about Colin's career, about the process that he has and the focus there versus focusing on the outcome. Then, of course, a one-on-one with Jake Olson. If that doesn't inspire you to have an incredible day, I don't really know what will. What an amazing young man, and to watch him evolve from 12 years old to now here on this campus is something that clearly has impacted millions across the globe. So make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. Check out the Season of Sam podcast on Apple Podcasts. For any information on this, just go to usctrojans.com. Until next time, I'm Yogi Roth. Talk to you soon.